Well, I would like to turn your attention at this time to another college sport that takes 15 players per team versus how many in football? 11, yeah. I'm still ringing. Maybe it's just the screaming from last night in my ears. But uh, it is the, uh, it's played in, I think, 900 different universities across the United States. It originated in England. And uh, as I did a little research on it this week, I, I remember when I was in college living in the dorms, uh, I, I'd gained probably, you know, they talk about the college 15, I'd probably gained the college 25. So going from a high school senior of about 175, I'm now, now about 200. And a kid says, hey, man, did you play football in high school? I said, yeah, I wasn't very good, but I played, you know. He goes, how about rugby? I said, no pads, a lot of running, missing teeth and broken noses. I don't think so. So that was my smartest decision I made of that semester, maybe not many other ones, but uh, nevertheless, uh, my alma mater has a men's rugby team and a female rugby team. So, I mean, those are girls that you better say yes ma'am to or whatever. But um, rugby involves all those kind of things. It is kind of that blend of American football and European football or soccer. And there is a ball that is carried and it, lots of running involved. Usually pretty burly uh, men and I guess burly women at this point with uh, women's uh, rugby teams. Um, and they use a word that um, I, I knew the action, but I didn't know the word for. And it sounds like American football, the scrimmage, you know, scrimmage is a practice game prior to having, you know, you might scrimmage amongst your own teammates. Or there is the line of scrimmage that, you know, the, the football is placed on and there's the line. But this is called scrummage or the scrum. And that's when the players get together into a, a grouping. And, and I had to re research this because I wanted to know if they could interlock arms. They're not supposed to interlock arms. They interlock their arms on each other's shoulders, which is kind of a, kind of a neat thing, especially as I was going to try to build this into the, a sermon, thinking about putting your arms around somebody else to you know, help them in their faith or help them in their walk with the Lord. But they're pushing together against the opposing team. In fact, of those 15 players, usually there's eight on the forward scrum. As I, and please, I'm not a rugby expert, but I tried to read a little bit like I would sound like I knew something about it. But they, this happens after a fumble, happens after the ball has somehow gone up, out of bounds. And to restart the game, and perhaps sometimes in changing of who gets the ball, that ball is placed in the midst of these 16 or so men or women uh, trying to push one way or the other. And you see the ball get kicked, actually, in the back of the scrum. The passage that we're looking at today in Philippians, which is by many considered to be the focus of the letter, Paul is advocating a scrum, if you will. A push to get everyone working together in unity for this congregation at Philippi in the profession of their joy that they have in Christ Jesus. So today we consider the scrum for joy. Paul is arguing that unity in the church is essential. In fact, as I said, this is sometimes considered the focal point of this book because you'll see later on in chapter 4 that there are two women who are having personal issues and causing potentially division in the church. Have you ever known two church members 
to have conflict that could cause division in the church. Not at this church. I'm sure there's some other churches around. Yeah, there you go. But he's telling us, don't fumble the gospel. Don't let it having your way. Who used to say that? Is that Burger King? Don't let it ha having it your way cause a distraction or a breakup of the unity in Christ Jesus. He's asking them to join arms against evil, to stand firm, to push against the darkness of the world, and unite in joy. Because together, I think we can push back the darkness of this world. Now, because I go down the rabbit hole of YouTube videos, looking for the right scrum to show you, and there are multiple scrums I could have showed you, but this blends both my love of cars and scrumming. So you can see how powerful a scrum line can be if uh, you work together. Show them this little clip. If uh, four or five guys can push back a F1 type car, what we can do if we work together to push back Satan in this world. Uh, and for the first time, you guys move that uh, woofer or what do you call the sub, the big sub, I could feel the floor vibrating as that, <laughs> that video was going. Now, I don't know, maybe you guys feel it vibrating when you're singing, but that was the first time I felt it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I was getting ready to dance. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> no, I'm not. Uh, if you have uh, your Bibles, look with me, please, at Philippians, this uh, first chapter. We're going to close out from verse 27 and go all the way through uh, verse 4 of chapter 2. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's, he's tying this into the earlier statement. He's, he is concerned whether he's going to be executed for his... Uh, advocating uh, that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, or perhaps he would re be released and be able to join them. So he's telling them, whatever happens, whether I'm killed or whether I'm freed, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. 
And I, I like uh, striving together, some translations will say, because when you say contending as one man, it, it can be misleading in your mind. But he's saying that we're gathering together in unity of effort for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. In other words, God's going to save them. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. How we love to glaze over and glaze over that part. Since you are going to, through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And this is such poetry next. Verse 1 of chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united from Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, unity, scrumline, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. If that doesn't hit you between the eyes, I don't know what will. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Pray with me again. Lord, as we have called on your name multiple times in this service, I would ask you to remind us right now how many times we have put ourselves ahead of others. And put our needs, our desires, our thoughts, our wishes ahead of yours. Together help us to push back against those type of thoughts. And to find the joy and the unity of Christ Jesus. And the gospel that we understand him to be the good news. That of salvation for all. If we'll only accept him as Lord and Savior of our lives. Help us push back today, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul begins by telling them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's not a new imperative from him. Let me remind you of three other times he uses the same verbiage. Ephesians 4 verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner worthy of of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Thessalonians 2 First I think it's actually 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What manner of living is he suggesting? Well, a manner worthy of the gospel, right? And it's like the call to huddle up. I don't know what they do in rugby. I don't really know what they do in soccer. I only played football, and I, like I said, I wasn't very good at that. But when the quarterback or the center said huddle up, that meant you went in to a huddle, and then the quarterback gave you, if he was calling the plays or the coach was bringing them in, you, get, you knew what to do next. And on defense, it was often the defensive captain or maybe the main linebacker or whoever it was who said huddle up, and that was usually a short one as you tried to prepare for what the offense was going to do to you. Well, here is our call to scrum up, if you will. And here's the first call I think I can see in this passage. This is a call for citizenship. A call for citizenship. Paul uses an interesting Greek word 
that we translate conduct, conduct, conduct yourselves, it is really the word that refers to citizenships or actually to politics, being the citizen of a nation. It can be translated the life of a citizen. And when he tells, tells us to have conduct becoming the gospel, he is using some symbolism that the Philippians would understand. This was a Roman colony. As I tried to tell you in the weeks prior, as we've led up and learned a little bit more about Philippi, it is in Greece. It is a colony of Rome that many former soldiers and active duty soldiers are living there because of a battle that had been fought years before. They had hung around, and they were proud of their citizenship. Even though not in Rome, they considered themselves to be Romans. They were proud of that heritage, proud of their country. And Paul reminds his struggling readers to live the life of a citizen that's a colony of heaven. A citizen of heaven. In fact, the Christians in Philippi are to be members of another government. And this is a very helpful word picture for us, I think, that Christians live in this world, but not of this world. We are a colony of heaven. Paul says, let your manner of conduct be worthy of the government to which you belong. The kingdom of God. The gospel of Christ. Well, great, Cliff. That sounds really good. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. First thing, just keep quoting scripture back to him. You can't go wrong. Stand firm in the spirit. Stand firm in the spirit. Another military term for standing guard. And, and I know I've got Marines in here, former Navy, some Army in here. But in the Air Force, the closest thing I knew as a basic training chaplain was when you were on dorm guard. And if the TI or someone tried to pound the door to come in, and if you were asleep... That automatically restarted your clock in basic training. That's how bad it was. I mean, you would be set back in training because you violated a gigantic rule, if you will, to protect those that you've been set apart to, to guard. In the Roman army, if you ever fell asleep while on guard by and found out by someone in authority. I don't know what your buddies would have done, but ultimately, if you were found out to have fallen asleep, your buddies then were told to beat on you with clubs until you died. Now, I am not recommending anyone here in church beat on their uh, pewmate. <laughs> but it doesn't mean standing firm in the spirit that we look for somebody to abuse. I think it says look for those who have fallen asleep or missed the mark of a believer and help them to fill in the gap, to lift them up, to, to bring the transgressor back to the scrum line, to help them to get together with us as we push back darkness in our world. Paul is telling us to live with conviction. Someone willing to take a stand for Christ. He's not wanting to lower the standard. And as Pastor Tony Evans says, don't lower the basketball goal just so you can dunk. Keep jumping higher. What is it, 10 foot? The basketball goal about 10 foot? I could touch the net as a kid. <laughs> I probably couldn't hang a net these days without a 20 foot ladder, yeah. But keep working 
at the goal that he says, live for Christ Jesus. Look at verse 28. He says, do it without fear, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Same word that was used for a frightened, for calming or shushing a frightened horse. Those of you, I know I've got horse people in here. A, wild, a horse that's run away is going to hurt the horse, the rider, and whatever it comes into contact with. But a horse that's under control can do hundreds of things, whether it's pull a plow, whether it's pull a wagon, whether it's carry the mail, you, you name it. You can talk about all the things that a horse under control can do. We are to stand firm in the spirit together. We are to strive for the gospel. That's the next thing he says in there. That word is a interesting word of a blend of a word for sunlight and athlete. It's sun Othello. Um, it is a word used for wrestling in company. Anybody ever wrestle in high school? Well, not your girlfriend or your boyfriend. I'm not talking about that. Some of you still aren't listening. Another opportunity I had in college is to wrestle. Uh, one of the guys, and you know, you, you go to a, a college that has people from all these bigger high schools, and a little podunk one like I went to, they had different sports. And a guy says, Hey, you ever wrestle? I said, Well, just with my buds. Well, let me see what you got. And he pinned me like in one second flat. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be a wrestler either. Rugby out, wrestling out. But two or three guys, I guarantee you, can subdue one a lot quicker than you one-on-one. -on -one. The scrum line working together, he is saying this call for citizenship is we are to strive together, labor together, work together. Now, the video that I played illustrates the force that we have when we work together. And just a couple of years ago, I think it's been two now, Pierce, that we had the, the signboard for 300 and 300. We tried to share the gospel with 300 people in 300 days. And for every time somebody did that, we lit a light. And I think we exceeded. Did we go over 500? We went over pretty high. I know we went way over 300. But behind the scenes, and I think I've shared this with some of you, those numbers were... Uh, reported by a small fraction of our congregation. Oh yes, the gospel was being communicated, but it wasn't being communicated by the entire team. It was just a small portion. Paul says that we are to wrestle together. Last week, I watched with my grandson uh, after picking him up from school a couple, I think we did it on two different occasions, but we watched uh, Night at the Museum. You know, one of uh, those, I think there are now three of those. My kids and I were arguing that. But the one, uh, the very first one where uh, Robin Williams plays the part of Teddy Roosevelt, sitting on the horse, riding up San Juan Hill. Oh, you know, bully, bully, rough riders. If those of you who know that story, he had to actually resign, I think, as the Secretary of the Navy. I know they got historians in here. That's just from memory, so be careful on that one. His Secretary of something, he had, he had a a, a large position, but to join the Rough Riders and then get involved in that battle in Cuba in 1898. Three years later, he would be elected president of the United States. And for his efforts in 1898, he received the Medal of Honor. Pretty crazy, huh? In his family, uh, patriotism, duty, honor, sacrifice, he, he poured that into his children. Teddy Roosevelt Jr., was in World War I, shot in the leg and almost gassed to the point that he was blind. But he maintained his reserve commission. And in World War II, he argued he'd been promoted to Brigadier General by the time uh, we were getting ready for the D-Day invasion. 
And he argued with um, Eisenhower and many others to say, I need to be on the beach with the men. And uh, I'll try to make this short. He basically won that argument. He was the only general on any of the landing beaches on June 6, 1944. In fact, he landed, he was on Utah Beach. He landed a mile away from where he was supposed to have landed. And the men came up to him, as if you've seen, you know, Saving Private Ryan or any of these uh, D-Day invasion movies, you can imagine the chaos, the pandemonium. And they said, sir, sir, what do we do? We're in the wrong place. He says, the war will start for us right here. And he rallied his troops, and he would receive the Medal of Honor. And if that's not crazy enough, a dad and a son getting it, Teddy Roosevelt Jr.'s youngest son, he was, Teddy Jr. was on Utah. His youngest son was on Omaha Beach. Talk about a family affair of working together. We are family here. We're a church family, and we should be laboring together. We must rally with unity in Christ to push back the darkness of the world. We live in a time where everything divides. Even church. I mean, you think about it right now in this small city of Holotus. Come up the road. I know there's Compass Church that's down there, kind of where the uh, oil change place is. I'm just coming up this main street, right? Eventually you're going to get to what first? Our Lady of Guadalupe? No, you actually get to the Presbyterian Methodist Church, Our Lady of Guadalupe, us, Independent Baptist. And that's just on Bandera Road. And I'm sure there are some other storefront churches that I don't know about or churches that are meeting someone's home. It's because we often allow our own desires to divide us. We let politics divide us. We let race divide us. We let sex divide us. We let face masks divide us. And recently in the news, we let abortion divide us. Some would say, well, you need to be a strong advocate on one of these sides of the issue, Cliff. Yes, sure you do. But foremost, you must be an advocate for Christ Jesus. I have never, probably due to my military background, been in a political rally because, oh, early on in my career, one of the ladies I worked with went downtown San Antonio in a, an abortion you know, protest, pro-life movement. She was part of it. I would advocate it. Yeah, I'm very much pro-life. But she showed up in uniform. Those of you in the military, big no-no. And she, and she was... She was either an E7 or E8. It's back when we had stripes. And she was E7. Um, but uh, she, uh, she, her, her career professionally took a toll for that. And I say all that. Why did, I, why did I say that? Where are you going there, Cliff? Well, I would sure hope the first political rally I ever get involved in, and the first sign I hold is a sign that says, Do you know Jesus? before I hold a sign up about some other divisive issue we have in our society. Get on a bus to rally for a political rally? Sure, but if you got on a bus to go on a mission trip? Tragically, I think the apathy that Christians proudly proclaim on social media is hatred of anything left of their center. Or right of their center, I guess. We seem to never be able to disagree without some level of pleasantry. Because until we can agree on the gospel, everything is divisive. It's a call 
for citizenship, and it's a call for unity. And that's our last point. The very name rugby in Europe is called rugby league or rugby union. Their name implies unity. And members wear shirts sort of like the one I have on today. There is a reason for wearing this very hot shirt I have on. It's the only rugby shirt left. They were popular when I was in college. I don't know when you were in school. Maybe they'll make a comeback. And often they were more solid colors to like any other. You know, you wear a cowboy jersey or whatever, Texan jersey or something like that. You'd wear your colors. And I asked Dennis this. And you'll have to tell me, don't shout it out now. Why do rugby shirts have rubber buttons? Good rugby shirts had rubber buttons, I guess, in case you got hit or jumped and piled on. But I have a rugby shirt on, but I've never played rugby. And there are many Christians who dress like Christians, but they have never entered into the battle for the gospel with Christ Jesus. They got the uniform, but they've never got in. And I hate to use the word game because then it sounds like it's for fun. But they've never got in into the battle. There's a call for unity. Look at verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's what drives most of us our whole lives. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Put others first. Almost seems un-American to say it. Maybe not in the essence of what America is supposed to be, but in modern day practice and culture. We always put ourselves first. But Paul is saying for the unity's sake, for joy in the Lord, put others first. I stumbled across an illustration this week and um, I was going to play video. You guys know I love videos because videos are word pictures. And uh, sometimes they will say it better than I can. But in India... It's where I understand it originated, and then by doing a little research, it happens in the United States. There was just one this year in Oregon, and it's considered, or it's called, India calls it the longest bicycle race, or the slowest bicycle race. In the U.S., it's called the shortest bicycle race. Anybody ride a bicycle? Come on. Anybody here can ride a bicycle? Be honest. John Bradley, you can't ride a bicycle, you're just not going to raise your hand. He figured I'm going to pick on him, right? Can he, can he ride a bicycle? Yeah. Maybe. We're going to see. Because we'll I, I was telling uh, Dennis and uh, Lou in my office, this is something the church could do as a fun contest. Well, I mean, with, with the city, it wouldn't take much at all. You get on a bicycle, and we line up for a race. Okay, you're with me so far? We're lining up the race. And the first one who puts their foot down and doesn't get ahead of the other person 
wins. I mean, loses. Let me back that up. First one who puts their foot down loses. The first one who gets ahead of the other person loses. So the object is to try to balance yourself on the bicycle without making any forward distance. The Oregon shortest, slowest, whatever bicycle race you want to call it, the winner had gone only 30 feet until everyone had either stepped off, fallen off, or whatever. And I think about life that way. That's the bicycle race I would have got into, lined up with everybody, and I would have been pedaling furiously, getting so far ahead of everybody, and I'd look back and I see no one's back there, and I'm like, way to go, and I cross the line hot and sweaty and everything, and I realize I've won until somebody says the whole object of the race was not to get ahead, to not put your foot down, to not beat others. And that's exactly what Paul is saying, that Jesus is saying about our lives. It's not for you and I to get ahead of others. It's to put others ahead of us. I deal with being a loser in that, you know. Nobody wants to lose, right? The winner is the loser. That's, I mean, it's an upside-down race. And the race that Christ has called us to win, our winning strategy for life, is for all of eternity to be caring for others and not about ourselves. And that is so much against our human nature. I know that. But it's letting others go first, not pushing ourselves to be in front. It's giving without expectation. It's getting even when we didn't expect it. It's not, in other words, to get it, do something to get it. It is to give that others might receive. It is to be humble like Jesus. Look at that last verse again. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. If you tie that in with that verse 30, or verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, you might understand that Putting Christ first in your life will cause you to suffer. Rather than the new fill in the blank or the trip to fill in the blank, it might be helping somebody that you know that's in need. What race are you running? What scrum line can you join in this church? Stand with me, please, as we pray. Our Father, there's been a call for unity and a call for citizenship. And we do all those things by putting Christ first in our lives and not putting ourselves ahead of others. So today, as we have looked at this passage, I pray that if there's one here today who has never put Christ first in their life, oh, I know, there'll be times that we stumble. It's like that Roman guard who falls asleep on duty. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would not be a church that beats up on those who aren't following you, but we would be a church to lift up and to help up those who have stumbled, those who have uh, perhaps strayed. Help us to bring them back into the fold, to work together, to push together, to labor in this world for Christ Jesus. Whatever decision there is to be made, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to move freely in our midst, that we would have this unity of spirit, that we all might be pushing together for your Son, Jesus and the joy that he can bring. Speak to us now, for we ask it all in Christ Jesus.